You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Guys, welcome back. Land and Lakes Podcast, part two, or part one. We don't know how you listen to these each week, but we do too. <laughs> so this is the other one, or this yeah, is the, the first one. We don't know. If if uh, if this is your first one, there's a second one. If this is your second one, thanks for listening to the first one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, man, um, you know, the first one we did, we, we actually – this week we're doing back to back. It's like we sat down, we recorded the first one, we took a little break, and now we're recording the second one. So I felt like the first one was. <laughs> I love the hunting, you know. I love hunting podcasts. I love to to talk about them, but ultimately, uh, you know, it's a good thing and a bad thing. I killed a buck October twenty sixth, and that hunt is now on YouTube. Um, go check it out. Go check it out. out. Yep. And, uh, goofy buck is, is down. And so that video is on YouTube and we basically, uh, gave it to y'all in like seven minutes or so. Um, and I haven't really hunted a whole lot since I've shot some does. And so not really a lot of, for me to talk about. I mean, I got so much going on in my life right now that, um, uh, the focus isn't really on trying to shoot does and i didn't even film them uh, like it was just like let's go shoot some does and and get some deer down and and i'm not sure anybody really wants to see us shooting does i think they would probably be more uh in curious to see us doing habitat stuff so didn't even worry about it and uh so yeah um 
I'm, we're gonna I'm, really jump back I'm into hopeful. habitat stuff. Yeah, I'm hopeful that we'll have I have one more little hunting excursion this coming week, and I'm hopeful that that will result in in a hunting focused podcast. Well, Listen, I would sure that, hope so. <laughs> Not to jinx you or anything. Yeah, right. There, but there's there's eight inches of snow up there right now too. Are you serious? And and a whole field yeah. of corn. Yeah. I hope your muzzleloader is lined in. Are you oh, using yeah. muzzleloader? No, are you no. using three fifty? Three fifty legend. Well, let's hope it's lined in. It's lined in. I got her. What what, got, what is the best advice you ever got? I don't know. Don't mess this up. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mess this up. <laughs> That's the best advice you'll ever no, get. No pressure, man. Yeah. It, and it, it covers the basis, right? <laughs> yeah. Don't mess it up. So yeah. ho- hopefully there'll be some um, some success there. Um, but yeah, no, it, it it is quickly. It never really isn't. Did but, you say but where you were going? Just now? No. Oh. No. Are you gonna? I'm gonna I'm gonna have to count the bag when when there's a post. Um, okay. People are probably figured it out by now, but. Hopefully, there's a social media post with a big old rack deer on it. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's it really is getting to that like habitat management season. A lot of the rut in many areas are past, and and so many people's gears are shifting from that hunting. Not a lot of people hunt late season, um, but but they're really getting into wow. I, I I really need to change something or I saw some stuff this year that I don't want to see again, or I want to see more of that. That was awesome. So it's like that time period where people are making this mental shift uh, to work on properties. I love that. No doubt. No doubt. It's, uh, it's, and you know, it's one of those things too, that I think a person who's, who's singing the blues about deer season, he could ultimately go, okay, the heck with it chalk it up as a loss let's go get the chainsaw and then all of a sudden he's like whoa who's this new buck and now he's got a game plan in place and yeah. and i think that that's one of the magical things about habitat improvement you know i made a post just today about um where are the bucks at are you experiencing bucks leaving the property right now or your deer leaving and you're like i don't know where they're going but they have to go somewhere else or are you one of those Guys who all of a sudden deer are just showing up because you have mm-hmm. what they need. And obviously, I mean, it's not something that that is really, uh, let's just simplify it and say if deer are showing up, you have the goods. At least you have more goods than the neighborhood. But if deer are leaving, you're, you, it's time to go to work. Yep, totally. Time, time to go to work. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, I'm excited to hear how it goes. Um, you know, I, I'd love to see the snow, but then again, ever since, you know, I talked about having that weird virus uh, a month and a half ago, two months ago. My daughter got it. I got it. And, you know, my wife's convinced it was COVID, but it was like totally different than what other people I know personally had it. And I still am experiencing like hands and feet. Even worse, you know, Matt and I with Rain it's like, we would get cold anyway, but now it's even worse. And I don't know if it's ever going to get better. It seems like it's getting better, you know, even washing my hands. So I don't really envy the idea of eight inches of snow on the ground and probably being really, really cold. And <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm like, mm, yeah, uh, you're going to have to, you're going to have to recover. Down, 
<laughs> yeah, maybe. But it seems like, you know, even when I first had it, I couldn't hardly even wash my hands with hot water because uh, it's just like, I can't do it. It feels like they're going to burst, like they're just going to swell up and blow out. And now, that, yeah, now they're getting better. And so hmm. I, I think that hopefully by the end of winter uh, they'll be completely healed. But it's been a really weird time frame getting over that. I, I don't know what's going on with it. but Yeah, that is all. So anyway, yeah, good luck up there. I can't wait to uh, for you to share sure. with the people where where uh, um, where you're at and uh, what's going on there. So, and lucky you. I mean, what a year to uh, to get a tag to go to that place, given the fact that crops couldn't be taken out. Yeah, pretty pretty nice situation. <laughs> yeah, the stars aligned. It works. It works. Yeah, I have no complaints. We'll just hopefully have um, a couple good sets, and well, uh, that's with I, I go back with the best advice you'll ever get. Better yep. not screw this up. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, now, I, I won't. I won't be. I won't be having that thought to run through my head because I'm le- looking yeah, into the scope. Better not screw this <laughs> up. I used to say that to Chad all the time, and like he'd he'd intense moments on hunts or different things. Well, better not screw this up. Um, and and I, I remember I used to say it to him a lot when he was running the camera. I was like, well, you know, do this, do this. But the best thing but, I can tell you is better not screw this up. Exactly. Yeah. And and with that note, I mean, you're using 350 Legend, Vortex Optics, one of our partners to make this podcast mm-hmm. happen. Uh, check them yep. out at vortexoptics.com. I don't know what scope. I think you've got a razor on that. Uh, is it a razor? Viper. No, a Viper. You've got the Viper scope on that one. So um, nice. Uh, Nice scope on there. What'd you say? Four by sixteen. Four by sixteen. Yeah, awesome. Reach out, touch them. You know, that's yeah. one of the inter. Oh nope, can't say that. Can't say that. That'll give the cat out of the bag on where you're headed. So, won't do it. <laughs> but using three fifty legend, and uh, it's gonna be cool. I'm I'm excited to hear how it goes. You're gonna. What that's- are you gonna do? You're gonna you're gonna take up the track in the snow and 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 still hunt your way to a big and lane in his bed. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely not Vermont style. (laughs) (laughs) You got the Woolrich on. Yep. Yeah. Oh man. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Put the the nose in your uh, or your nose in the wind and just start sneaking. Yeah. Oh man. Well, not not through all that gray dogwood and some of these slopes and ridges. Could you imagine all that wet snow? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh goodness. Yeah. Well. All right, let's jump into this week's yeah. topic, or part two this week, part one this week topic. You know, this this kind of came to me the the thought process or the com- the comparison that we're going to talk about came to me a couple weeks ago, and, and I didn't elaborate on it. I'm, you know, we get ideas for podcasts obviously all the time, so I've got a place in my phone. I'll just jot something down that's like okay yeah that that's a topic right there that's a thought process yeah let's let's chat on that and i'll come back to it maybe elaborate a little bit but so that thought came to mind or this thought came to mind um overstory versus understory and i'll explain a little bit more in a second but i was revisited that topic basically as a company we are really working hard to revamp and revitalize, freshen up 
um, some some verbiage in our reports and just really in this, I won't say off season, but just really fine tune stuff um, to help Kyle and Frank. And so anyhow, we've been really working through how it is we're delivering this information to clients. And one of the topics we came to is timber management. This is all one that, that we've had, you know, Zoom meetings on. And we've really been thinking about how do we need to portray this information that will result in the desired the desired result like right how do the current situation that most people are in with whatever timber they're dealing with how do we get them educated confident to be able to accomplish the recommendations and i think through that process of those thinking there became this more dis- distinct, um, maybe misunderstanding or maybe not a connection to why it's important to manage timber. And it's, and it's essentially the overstory versus the understory. Obviously, when we're, when we're talking with timber, you have trees that create an overstory, right? That this is nothing that's just earth shattering. So hang on a second. But you can go through and you can eliminate trees. Um, we know that that can have a direct result. There's University from Tennessee um, that has shown a direct result in improving the mass production if we're crop tree releasing um, specific mass producers. We know that that type of timber management is good and that it directly impacts the overstory and the production of mast for wildlife species. But I think that's the end point for a lot of folks where we need to take that understanding of why we do timber management to the next level because what we really need to be considering is the understory component of timbered acres when you're when you're in a old field situation the amount of early successional habitat that is available and let's say right there at the disposal of wildlife to be able to use i mean it's it is six foot and down it's dense there's food everywhere it's grasses there's brambles there's shrubs there's forbs i mean it's just perfect and you're like wow this is something that a lot of wildlife can benefit from. Then you step into the timber and it's like the void of all that. But when a timber lot is properly managed, we're not just concerned about the overstory. We need to be considering what's happening in the understory at that same level that we see in an old field. Is it going to be that, let's say, vigorous and thick and whatnot? No, it's not because there is sunlight being blocked it's not an open field but that doesn't mean that's not helpful it doesn't mean that's not food that doesn't mean that's not cover and we should be considering the understory of the timber i wouldn't say necessarily more than the overstory but at least 50 50 because there's so many trees in in any given forest that aren't mass producers that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be there that they don't have a place, that they don't have a purpose, but what what are they doing there to help the wildlife when when we know that an understory of certain types of plants 
whether it be shrubs, whether it be just young saplings, whether it be brambles, those are really important and take the usability of a timber lot or a, a timber, a unit of timber on your property, no matter the size and increases its productivity to whatever wildlife you're promoting. It's, it's an understory component that we're really trying to promote because it's probably absent or it's really just poor. That's right. We need, to, we need to improve it. That's right. And so, do you do you see that Adam as well from a comprehension and understanding of, of where a lot of people are in the whole timber management side of things? Oh, a hundred percent. You know, I feel like so many people focus on the big trees, and yet, you know, Forrester focuses on big trees and and the next generation of trees. So he's he's seeing big picture. He sees the full circle. He sees the mature trees, the immature trees, and then the very young trees, and then he also sees the seedlings or the nuts that are eventually going to turn into trees at some point. And a lot of times as land managers, we just see those big trees and we think, okay, that's what they, that's what we need, you know, because whatever they produce, that's what's feeding the deer. And it's so far from big picture thinking. And right. You know, ultimately, you know, I say this a lot to, to landowners, but um, if, if I was managing, if I showed up to a property and the landowner said the complete 180 of what he usually says is, but he, and, and he said, I want to make sure that what I'm doing here is deterring deer from being on this property. What's something I can do that's not a, that's, that's negatively affecting the deer population. I say, well, if it's going to stay in forest, leave it as is. Let's, and at the very least, you know, let's burn it once a year, twice, or once every two years, just so what little bit of growth we have gets burned up and there's not enough time between burns for much to grow back. That's what I would do. Yeah. And, I mean, so many guys are, and so many landowners are completely not thinking enough about, you know, if, if the focus was solely white-tailed deer, lower the eyes we're looking in the canopy lower lower keep coming down keep coming down four foot level okay there's where we focus and it's hard for much to grow within that four foot and down the height of a deer if we're looking solely at big tall trees it it, there's just this disconnect between well when you step in the timber it just it's not important to, to what's growing right there and, right. and we, we came off a, several weeks ago a great podcast with, with Dr. Marcus Lashley, and, and we, we make this comparison a lot, uh, you know, the benefit of white oaks versus red oaks and their timing. But, you know, I, th- I think what the, the research that, that came from the study out of the university with Craig Harper and his, his students, um, there's a mass failure or what they determined as a mass failure didn't create a certain amount, six out of 10 years. Yeah. And so these big trees, are they that productive? And especially in a white oak, white oak family, you know, that food source, it's a feast or famine situation. You're when they're dropping, you better feast because they're going to spoil quick. So you have this tree that's productive, maybe 50% of the time, and its window is very small. So, again, 
why do we put so much relevance to that as a, I wouldn't say just, just in the grand scheme of things, why do we put so much relevance to that when, when the understory is always available? That's right. Right. It's always accessible, whether it's March or whether it's uh, October, it doesn't matter. There, there is either cover, there is structure, or there is forage that can be offered that is, again, desirable, um, sought after, preferred, and accessible. So when you're doing timber management and you're starting to get into that swing of things, your mind has shifted from hunting season. Really be critical and look at each tree before you, you know, before you walk away from a tree, identify its purpose, identify its role. If it needs to be there, keep it there. Uh But if it doesn't, man, what else can come back? Absolutely. How how else can we, can we change that, 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 uh, let's just call it a six inch elm tree. Can we, can we cut that tree down, not treat it with herbicide, change its growth form, allow it to re-sprout, offer more woody brows, offer cover at at a desirable height, but at the same time, open that canopy free up the mass producing tree that's nearby, but let that sunlight in like that's the kind of thought process that you should be having. It is how can we remove the trees to allow things to restart at ground level? Ground level is what's important when you're in the timber, not just what's in the overstory. That's right. And, and I, I use that analogy just today and I use it on, on many consults that I go to of like, okay, It's easy to fall in love with big trees. I mean, I get that. It's easy to see that and just think how majestic or uh, just how how cool they are. Let's just be honest. How how incredible it is that something that big grew out of this rocky hilltop or whatever. And yeah, yeah, that that is cool. But let's just look at it from a habitat standpoint, from wildlife standpoint, from a from an income production standpoint, from a now let's just talk carbon for a second from all those aspects. Okay, it's a big tree. It's been storing carbon for a long, long time, uh, 80 years. But now it's deteriorating. That carbon's being released back in the area. Well, that's not so – let's harvest that carbon. Okay, let's turn it into lumber. Okay, let's cut that tree down. That's one way to look at it. The other side of it and the thing that we spend most of our time looking at is going, this tree right here could be 30, 40 years old. If you left it for 10, 20 more years, are you going to make any money off of it? Chances are it's probably just going to be firewood. Chances are it's already starting to deteriorate on the inside of it, uh, in in the center of the trunk. So if it, it's, it's going to be in worse shape 10 years from now than it is right now. And now it's in terrible shape. So why don't we cut it, allow that to stump sprout back, or why don't we, you know, if it's another tree that's 8 inches in diameter, why don't we just hinge cut that tree? Ultimately, you're looking at it going, each one of these individual trees, if I leave them alone, is it good or bad or indifferent? Or if I cut it, is it good, bad, or indifferent? And so many times, this is what I say to landowners to complete that scenario, is going, okay, let's look at this, and I usually hold my arms out in kind of a somewhat 45 or V-shaped 
pattern and I say, everything here, now I'm waving my hands together, like I'm almost kind of like saying safe in baseball. Everything in between my arms, if we left it all for 20 years, what trees are going to become a log to make income, if that's our goal? Eh, maybe two, and it's going to be not much. Okay, what happens in 20 years if if the goal is for wildlife? Well, woodpeckers and some raccoons will be happy in these maybe snag trees, mm, but uh, these probably aren't big acorn producers. Okay, so ultimately this is wasted. Why don't we cut it down and now make something very attractive, very beneficial, and incredibly important for what's lacking in your neighborhood? I, I, I honestly... I don't see the problem in this at all. Like, I don't see how anyone could argue this. Um, And they're usually (laughs) like, that's a valid point. I didn't realize that this was completely worthless. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, and think about it, sir. This is 90% of your property. And, and, right, specifically for your intended goals, this tree – means nothing. It, yeah. it, 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 it only means something if you cut it. That's and if right. you don't intervene with this, then it's not going to mean anything 5, 10, 15, 20. It's going to mean less because there's nothing that That's is right. valuable for the deer. That's what you're promoting in that tree unless you change it. And so just be diligent in your considerations for timber management. Yes, it is termed timber management, but it's not just the timber that you need to be concerned with. It is the acres that would be classified under timber. Adam, we we work and see so many different places. Um, I I think that there's a lot of people who just don't even understand that there's a there should be an understory present in an actual farm. You know, there, there's some places that there's no forest regeneration. There literally is just. I'm not even sure that that it's even in the de- dictionary in Pennsylvania or Michigan. I, I don't think <laughs> understory is even used. I right. Those those are two definite states. It, or or if you, you look it up, it just says deer food consumed 20 years ago. Um, right. Like it's so limited and. You know, for for Chad and I, you know, let's dial it back to personal and, um, you know, direct, direct uh, experience. And so when Chad and I started harvesting uh, the woodlands through a timber sale, we understood that the timber was very low quality. Yep. But when you start cutting what appears to be beautiful black oaks that are like, oh, these, these trees could be, you know, it could be. Anywhere from 50 to 80 years old. Oh, well, 70% of them are already doty or starting to get kind of rotten or they're hollow in the center. You're like, when were these in good shape? When were these really healthy? But they look they look good from the outside. They look so good from the outside. Yeah. And it's like, it's a body that looks healthy, but it's chocked full of cancer. Like... It, it's it's a problem. It's it's something that you may not see till you get on the inside or x-ray or, or do any other blood work and realize, oh, there's some major problems going on. 
And so if we would have walked in there and just said, you know what, let's not do a timber sale. Let's just timber stand and prove this area. And we started thinning it out. Ultimately, we're going to be leaving trees that in 10 years when we cut them are going to go, these are in worse shape than they were 10 years ago. And so uh, ultimately, we're we're aware that our best trees are our young trees and the trees that haven't even started growing on that place. That's our healthiest trees. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm in a situation where I, I, I don't have enough timbered acres to really be concerned with uh, timber harvest. Right when we first got it, we, we logged some walnuts off of it. Um, but that was the only value in, in timber on the property. And we cut it because honestly, I want how uh, let's just call it 20 acres of timber that's on the property i want it to be so critically evaluated when i'm when i when i get done with what is timbered acres um from a tsi standpoint that says okay if there's a tree growing on site it has a role and it has a distinct purpose and if it doesn't i cut it or i treated it or I'm just burning it down with, with fire every couple of years. Yeah. I do that because it's 20 acres and it's right here at my house. I understand that that feasibility of that, you know, goal may not be perfect for everyone, but that's the intensity that when I am working outside and I've got the chainsaw in my hand, that's my thought process. And so it's like right now, woo. In some of these areas, it looks pretty rough. There's a lot of trees on the ground. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I'm not I'm not going to manage the timber. Um I'm gonna I'm going to manage the timber for functionality of deer and functionality of turkeys. It's not yeah. gonna necessarily be the aesthetic appeal, but it will be a hundred percent functional and that's the goal that I have in mind on this place. So there's yeah. gonna be way less trees and a very hopefully robust understory of um, diverse natives that are going to come back. I've seen remnants of them, like the amount of shrubs that I'm seeing, um, um, the gum trees I'm seeing just scattered across here, not sweet gums or black gums. Um, but like it's everywhere. Yeah. I'm like, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. Once yeah. I get rid of the multiflora rows of bush honeysuckle too, those are some issues. But yeah. again, that's just, that's just part of it. Yeah. Like that, that's just another aspect. That's the understory right now. That that's some of the understory in these areas. It's like your time is limited. You will be gone. Mm-hmm. Your days are numbered. I'm coming for you. Yeah. You will be replaced. So just yep. wait. Yeah. But that's timber management. That's the mindset when when you're thinking solely solely on wildlife benefit, wildlife centric minded timber management. For sure. Overstory versus understory. Hopefully that was a good comparison for people to understand when you're in the timber acres, what you should really be focusing on opposed to the stuff that's just noise. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. hundred percent. You know, and I think so many guys are going to be getting in doing timber management here over the next couple of months that it's, it's great timing. And I mean, what better what better time of the year to do timber management than right now? And so I think even even if you're in an area where uh, 
or you're on your farm, you haven't tagged a buck yet, and you're like, I don't want to do anything till January. You know what? Go ahead and get started. I know I'll almost bet you that you can you can see even more deer activity on your property because of the timber work you're doing. So don't be afraid to go ahead and get started. Well, absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, guys, we appreciate it. Don't know what Matt's got going on, but it sounds like he's unzipping something over there. Sorry, he got a zipper. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. We We appreciate it. We'll catch you next week. See you guys. Yeah.